Hey folks, my name is Will, and I use he, him pronouns, and I am thrilled to welcome you back to the Toolmest podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're excited to have you. This podcast is created and produced by UBC's Student Alumni Council, also known as the SAC. The SAC's mission is to connect current students with alumni and to foster campus pride. Now, before we begin today's episode, I would like to acknowledge that I am recording from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. I would also like to acknowledge that you may be joining us from places near and far, and so I would like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of those lands as well. Now, today's episode will feature a discussion with Louis Din. Louis is currently working in the tech sector, and our conversation breaks down lots of important information that folks entering the workforce should be aware of. If you're curious about getting started with a career in tech, this episode will prove to be very insightful. All right. Hi, Louis. It's great to have you here today. Hey, how's it going? Well, great, man. Really excited to, for this conversation. So before we get into things, I wonder if you give a little bit of a brief introduction for everybody listening today. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Louis and I graduated from UBC first time in 2012 with a bachelor's in uh, computer science uh, with a minor in biology. And then I went to industry, worked for a few years and decided to go, come back and uh give more money to TBC. Uh, <laughs> second time around, I graduated with a master's also in computer science uh, in 2017. Um, and yeah, um, I guess I had a few jobs since then, but currently I'm at Abcelera working as a data scientist, um, helping out with uh, analyzing uh, therapeutic antibodies. Wow. That is uh, definitely a, mouth, a mouthful, therapeutic antibodies. Uh, hopefully we can get into that a little bit later on during our chat today. I think there's a couple questions that maybe might lay the groundwork for some more conversation here. Um, I think a good place to start is how do you think that technology is perceived by students and people who aren't currently working in the tech sector? Because I think there's kind of like, there's a mystery to it. People are like, oh, I work in tech. And I think somebody who's maybe, you know, doesn't know a lot about what data science is or doesn't know about software engineering or anything like that might be a bit like there's something going on here that I don't entirely understand. So um, sounds like, you know, you've held a couple different positions in the tech industry. So coming from somebody who has had a lot of experience there, I'm wondering what is it really like to work in tech slash like what is the tech sector really like as somebody working in it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's very hard to know what it's like when you haven't had like experience in it. Like myself, I imagine, you know, I had all these ideas of what it was like when I was a student and it wasn't until, you know, I was deeply immersed that you, you start to notice kind of patterns, mm -hmm. but the biggest surprise for me when I joined tech is how collaborative the work really is right mm -hmm. um when when someone says tech immediately you kind of think about like oh it's like the programming the math the complex computer science algorithms stuff like that right it's like oh my god you must be so smart or whatever that i'm i'm sure you 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 get that the the thing that is really crazy is that to ship a good product or like a great product requires so many skills and those skills can't reside within a single person Right. And so if we just break it down and we, we talk about like a mobile application and you're trying to build one, right. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you don't need just the programmer, right. First of all, you need like a product manager, which is somebody who, who's trying to figure out like, oh, what should we build? Right. What, what is the landscape like? What are the other applications? What are the competitors? What do they do? Where, where are we trying to go? Right. That's, that's like not 
usually they don't come from computer science. They come from a completely different background, right? Yes. And then they all come up with an idea, you know, something on a napkin and they'll, they'll work with someone, right? And they'll, they'll pass it off to a designer. A designer is someone with a very artistic background, right? They will create that idea of like the polished experience. They'll use something like uh, Photoshop or Canva to like nail that down. And then that's handed off to the programmer who then actually does the the building, right? So that's what you typically, when people say tech, they just focus on the building and they kind of ignore all the other roles that have to come in, right? And I'm, I'm not even talking about like the marketing and the finance and stuff like that. This is purely just building a mobile application. So yeah, I think that's kind of a good view maybe, or, or a good lens to think about it. Definitely. I mean, when I first started hearing about tech and technology many years ago, I definitely pictured it as the, you know, the one or two people in the basement, you know, typing away at a keyboard, not talking to anybody, but that sounds like it's definitely not the case. And from what I can tell with my experiences, you know, with friends who have worked in it and, you know, talking with other folks who are working in it currently, it's much more collaborative than I think people originally expect. And to build anything on a larger scale beyond, like you said, like a mobile application, it requires a team of tens, if not hundreds, maybe even thousands of people to build large scale applications, which I think the the team coordination across there is incredible. It's a logistical feat that I think a lot of people don't anticipate when they start working in tech, maybe. And what has your experience been like working in? Obviously, we talked a bit about collaboration, but what kind of roles have you held in the past? And like, what what do those roles maybe look like in a, on a day-to-day basis for you? Yeah, great question. So it, originally, when I came out of my undergrad, I joined a small mobile gaming company called A Thinking Ape. And I was software engineer doing the backend game features, basically. And so there, day-to-day, I'm interacting with the game designer, who's like, this is what I think would make a fun game, right? And you try to take that idea and you try to build it into the into the infrastructure so it can service your um, that vision, right? Tries, tries to implement that vision. And uh, very quickly, I shifted over to um, the analytics side because I found that to be more interesting. And so this became more about like, oh, can we gather that data? And can we look at how the users are interacting with the game at like a macro perspective so that we can do things like balance the economy? So you mentioned a little bit about Thinking Ape and your time there and what that was like interacting with the game designer and working on the back end of the game. And then you mentioned as well, switching in the statistical analysis side of the game. And I'm curious to know maybe a bit more about what the upsides of that were and what kind of skills that acquired and, and where you've gone from there maybe. Yeah, so then I, I shifted from game design over or game programming over to more the analytics side. And I started kind of trying to do all these analyses and complex statistical things to try to figure out some of these questions that the game designer, but also now the marketing team wanted to answer, right? So they wanted to ask, how much does it cost to uh, advertise enough so that you get a new user? And when the new user comes in, I guess, what are they worth? Um, in the long run in terms of kind of ad revenue or um, in-app purchases, stuff like that. And so, you know, I'm kind of shifting around the organization, but definitely I was, I kind of started on one side and kind of shifted more towards the analytics side of things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And I got to see parts of the organization through that transition. Mm -hmm. And definitely requires some different skills, I would imagine as well, eh? Totally. Yeah. So that's actually why I, 
ended up going back to UBC, it's because I felt like I hit a little bit of a ceiling in terms of uh, skills because I had all the programming skills, but I didn't have the kind of quantitative skills to do the analysis that I wanted to do, that I knew that I wanted to produce. And so I, I went back to UBC. I focused a lot on more of the statistics and machine learning side of things so that I could take uh, my skills in that dimension to the next level. I think this might be a good opportunity as well to to give a quick definition as well. I think the word machine learning is getting thrown around a lot these days with the kind of, um, you know, coming around of chat GPT and all these other, you know, large language models that are that are kind of coming into the mainstream. Um, from somebody who's actually in tech, would you mind giving a super short definition of machine learning for, for somebody who's never heard of it before? Yeah. So I think I think of machine learning as trying to identify large scale patterns in a bunch of data, right? You have a ton of data, you really don't know what the large scale um, correlations are. And so you throw it into these machine learning methods and they will spit out um, more useful digestions of the data um, mm -hmm. is probably how I think about it. That's really useful, I think. There's no need to know tons of the complex math behind it, except that you know, the machines are able to make these incredibly complex calculations uh, and kind of spit out the most, you know, most likely, maybe the most, the most likely next word, sorry, in an example like ChatGPT or something like that. Yeah, a very cool opportunity to, to be able to work in that industry as well. Um, and now I'm wondering, you know, we, we're not working at the game company anymore. So I'm wondering, what does a day in your life look like for you now working at your current company? You said it was Abcelera, right? What does that, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I guess I work a lot trying to improve the methods that are at Abcelera. And mm -hmm. so day to day, I'm working with the scientists. They typically design experiments, right? So they want to improve something in the lab. They think, oh, if I change this variable in my protocol, um, it will improve some metric by percentage. Mm -hmm. uh, I apologize for being a little bit vague, but easier to think about it without uh, getting buried in the jargon. But mm -hmm. that that's kind of like the general setup, right? They want to make a change and they do it and they measure before and after. And the idea is that a whole bunch of data is generated and it gets handed to me as a CSV file, let's say. Um, and my job is to figure out how much did the thing that they care about change? And is this... Uh, I guess, expected? Is it a real change? Or is it like a noise kind of thing? So like, if we had done the experiment three times, like really it fluctuates enough that like what you observed wasn't real, right? Um, yeah. yeah, and and because we're doing with, dealing with biological organisms, there there's always a, a ton of fluctuation that you, you have to take into account. Absolutely. So on a day-to-day -day in your life, are you mostly in meetings? Are you mostly um, actually programming? Are you, you know, doing brainstorming sessions with other people? What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I try to do this hybrid setup where mm -hmm. I'm in office two days a week and I'm at home three days a week. And mm -hmm. just because I find that this works best for me, this is not like a uh, like a team-wide or company-wide thing. I just decided that this is ideal. Um, mm -hmm. And so when I'm in office, it'll usually be meetings or uh, working sessions. So we'll pair program, you know, we'll grab a phone booth or like a kind of like a table and we'll sit next to each other, try to work through some gnarly problems, work mm -hmm. through a design of a module. Um, yeah, so in office, it's usually very collaborative. 
Um, there'll be update meetings, of course, on the latest status on the projects. And then at home, it'll be more um, heads down work, right? So it'll be coding, it'll be data analysis, it'll be making graphs to put into slide decks and stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So there's a bit of a difference between your in-person days and your, your remote days as well. Um, and I want, do you think that maybe is an effect of like post pandemic life or was that probably something similar happening before the pandemic? Uh, I imagine that people are much more biased towards hybrid working now, just because I think the pandemic was a forcing function for everyone to kind of get a really good home office setup. And yeah. so now that you have a dedicated space, you're used to kind of working out of it, it, the, it, it allows kind of a different rhythm um, to the day. And I find that the contrast is really helpful because sometimes, you know, you're in office and you're, you want to go heads down and solve this really gnarly problem, but people are always like kind of tapping you on the shoulder and be like, Hey, you know, just talking about yeah. the latest or something like that. Totally. I think for some people in tech, they're thinking, oh, if I'm going to go into tech, like I'm going to have to spend all my time heads down working on problems, but and I'll be alone on it. But that's really not the case as we've already talked about collaboration. But like, you know, just being in an office space like that is a collaborative space. There is talking, there is, you know, group meetings that people need to go to and pair programming, which I think is something that people don't who aren't in tech wouldn't anticipate as something a lot of people do, but actually sitting down with another person and writing code together because, you know, two heads are better than one. Um, that must be a really fun experience to get to do that with other people in an environment with like absolute professionals, some of the smartest in the game. Like that must be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually one funny experience I had or like good experience I had during programming was actually with one of my colleagues, Brian, and we were, it was like a hack day where you can kind of build, whatever you want to try to explore a particular aspect. And we just had this idea and we, it was like some documentation tool to like spit out, I don't know, like an index of all the repos across the org or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of got together and we, we pair program and I drove in the morning, which is like, I, by that, I mean, I had my hands on the keyboard. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was the one doing the typing. And then after lunch we swapped and he drove and I was watching and it was just really, it, it was very much like a, almost like a school project, right. Where you, yeah. you have something, there was no real deadline. Um, it was just fun. We were just kind of riffing back and forth and it was, yeah, something interesting came out of it. That's really cool. I I love that the opportunity is there to to kind of explore something that you're interested in with the skills you've got on hand and to do it with somebody else, I think is a is a really cool opportunity because when I when I started getting into computer science as a computer science major, I really thought, you know, I was gonna be alone in it every time. But there's almost no projects you do anymore in computer science that you're doing alone, just because almost everything is big enough that it's worth having two people on the project because, you know, optimization problems, um, you know, maybe people are familiar with other libraries, but also just different ideas. Like it's really cool to have, you know, somebody else's, you know, idea of, of solving or implementing a problem um, and have that alongside you because you can take the best of both worlds. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And on average, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I'm wondering like, what does your team, your team's workflow look like? Are you guys using, I mean, the word agile is talked about, talked about a lot. Um, waterfall used to be popular, I think, or something like along the lines of that. Um, what do you guys use? Um, and would you mind explaining it a bit, maybe, but it's one of those jargony terms. I think it's a little bit, there's a lot to unpack in this question 
because mm. I belong to a lot of teams and uh, yeah. everybody kind of has a little bit of a custom way of working. I guess the the one that I'm most familiar with, uh, I can talk about, which is like the main way I organize uh, my work and kind of some of my immediate collaborators, um, how we work together is uh, typically we have like a weekly sync. And so we'll get together and talk about our priorities in terms of like what we have to get done. This is kind of the forum for unblocking each other and making sure that all the dependencies are resolved. So like if I need this by the end of the week, I make sure that that's kind of high priority for the, you know, make sure that it gets in before. Um, yeah. So just to make sure that everything is kind of aligned on that, uh, on that roadmap. I would say beyond that, we just are pretty independent in terms of like making sure things are done. The only critical aspect is to make sure that all the uh, interfaces are resolved, right? So if I'm building something and someone's going to use the thing that I'm going to build, we just have to agree beforehand that this is what it looks like. And this is roughly the timeline, right? Um, I would say that because the group is still small, we don't lean too hard on a lot of process, um, mm. which is not true for, for other groups, right? Other groups have way more defined sprints. They do two-week blocks, um, you know, and at the end you have a retro. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably the, the working model that I'm most familiar with currently. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are probably actually somewhat familiar with that model, but don't even know that it's called, you know, a specific thing in technology or in the tech industry, but it's a very useful way to kind of go about things. And I think even in classes at UBC, like they, they teach that kind of thing. Um, maybe during, well, during your time here, computer science 310. I don't know if that was a course um, when, when you were around, but yeah. they, they teach agile, they teach, you know, they, we have weekly scrums, that kind of stuff to, to get together and, and talk about processes and, um, and it's cool to hear that that kind of thing is happening in the workplace as well, and that these these skills we're learning will be applicable. So I, I think I want to riff on this just a little bit. Yeah. Um, one thing that I was very surprised about is how applicable most of the things you learn are um, in your working life. And I think, I mean, I remember as a student, you're like, oh, why am I learning this? Why does yeah. it matter? I'm never going to use this again. And at this point, it, it's true at the beginning that not everything is used, but as you progress, shockingly, most of it becomes relevant, right? So at this really? point, I would say probably 75 to like 80% of everything I learned is used in some way, shape or form, um, which to me, like if I went back and told my younger self, I, I'd be like, no way, like there's no way we're using this stuff, right? The technology itself, not so much, like nobody uses UML diagrams, for example, right? That was pointless. But a lot of the core underlying ideas and the way that you work together in groups and how you coordinate. And it's pretty useful. It's pretty useful. That's great to know, because I have definitely been in a couple of classes. Love love the UBC Computer Science Department. However, been in a couple where it's like, oh, I'm not sure I'm ever going to pull this out, you know, at a team meeting wherever I'm at or uh, if I'm ever going to touch this again. But interesting to hear that that you are. That's fascinating. And I think maybe a lot of computer science students will take heart knowing that this work isn't necessarily wasted work, but not just getting the degree to, for the sake of getting the degree anymore. To shift gears a little bit, um, I want to talk a bit about some of the advice that people might be able to learn from you or that you might be able to give to people who are listening. So um, first question for you in, in this stream, um, what do you think that others could learn from you, not only in you know the tech sector, but also as just a lifelong learner, um, something, a, a lesson that you've maybe learned the hard way uh, that people might be able to learn from you? Yeah. So I think one thing that I'm happy that I did is taking the long-term perspective 
and really trying to like deeply understand the fundamentals of computer science of programming. And I think maybe small anecdote that just happened recently to me, uh, one of my teammates, he was struggling with this, how to organize his data, right? So he had a program and it would spit out some data. And the problem was we needed to like combine this data with other data sets. Mm -hmm. And we had to organize the data in a generic enough way that you can kind of like, you know, mix output of program A with output of program C with output of program like D prime that doesn't even exist yet. Right. And I immediately suggested that he look into um, relational data and how to organize data in a relational way. Right. Yeah. And so he went off and he, he read some of the blog posts and references there. And he came back and he's like, wow, this solves all of my problems. Right. Yeah. And I didn't come up with any of these ideas, right? These ideas were laid down in like the 70s, I want to say, or 80s or something like that. Mm -hmm. But they are such great ideas. And they kind of get buried behind the technology sometimes, right? People are talking about like NoSQL. People are talking about document DB, like databases. They're talking yeah. about... And like at the end of the day, it's like you store your data in a table mm -hmm. and you just have like identifiers in the right place. And if you do that, all your problems go away. And so I think maybe taking the time and really, you know, when you work on a project, take that extra 10%, that extra 20% and read up a little bit about the underlying thing that you're using, because maybe you don't need to go that deep, but, and, and you can still finish 10%, 20% faster, but in the long run, if you always kind of do have that investment mindset where you're like learning a little bit more every time, then you actually end up accelerating and you end up solving problems by making connections to old techniques that you've picked up. So you're, you're building up this tool belt, right? Rather than like always kind of trying the latest fad, trying to just hack things together all the time. Yeah. So I think that's something that really paid off for me. Um, and probably not evident at the beginning because, you know, I was always 10% or 20% slower at shipping things. Yeah. That is a really good piece of advice because I think that it's really easy to get caught up in you know, excitement about, like you said, the latest trends and about trying this new, you know, library or this new tech stack or whatever tool it happens to be now that people are getting excited about. But if you slow down a little bit and learn the fundamentals, it can save you so much time going forward. Because then, you know, if, for example, if maybe if you hadn't been there, that problem sticks around for a few more days and that's wasted time that, you know, everybody could have spent working or just progressing to the next problem, getting excited about something new. Um, so really cool that a really insightful piece of advice to maybe slow down and look into the the theory behind things and, and get to know the basics a little bit because it will become useful. And also- And I, I think I want to just- emphasize that yeah. I think I erased the word basics from my head because mm -hmm. it's it's not true. They're not basic. They're not easy, right? They're fundamentals. You end up appreciating how difficult it was to come up with these like very solid ideas that you build on top of. And we just think of them as basic because they're so uh, common, right? They're, they're everywhere. They're so prevalent that you think that they're easy or basic, but, but they're not. So I guess a, I would try to erase that from that mindset. Yeah. 
I think anybody who's learning design patterns for the first time will tell you these are definitely not easy things to pick up, especially if, you know, you're still new to computer science and, and programming. These are not easy things to learn. You have to work your head in weird ways um, to try and figure these things out. So I, I think you're right. It's not basic. It is it is fundamental and necessary in a lot of ways to, to understand more complex and potentially more recent um, developments in computer science as well. And that kind of actually leads me to my next question is what should people be learning right now if they want to work in technology? Maybe there's a particular skill you think will be useful down the line, or let's not get into languages maybe because languages are shifting week to week, but but if there's a particular skill or particular lesson, anything like that, do you think would be really valuable for new computer scientists to be kind of familiarizing themselves with, or really anybody who's just interested in, in working with technology? Mm -hmm. This is a really hard question. I guess, let me see if I understand the question correctly, which is like, what should people be picking up mm -hmm. right now? Maybe you can clarify what with what goal, though. What are you trying to aim for? Yeah, that's a good are question. You to get employed, or are you, are you trying to build your own projects? Or are you trying to just understand the landscape better? I think mm -hmm. that dramatically changes the, the answer. Yeah. Let's talk about getting employed at maybe like a, a, a bigger tech company. If somebody wants to get a job at um, a company with like, it's well-established, been around for a while, has a good number of employees, um, what kind of skills are valuable these days? And people be looking into picking up. So how I've always conceptualized this is that there's no one answer to this question. Mm -hmm. um, like what employers look for. Yeah. I tend to try to split it into, in my mind, there's kind of like three major streams. Um, and there are probably many, many more, but these are the three that I tend to feel out um, from kind of the industry. The first stream is probably something like a front-end developer, right? Mm -hmm. So you're concerned about design, you're concerned about building a great experience, you're you know trying to build a website or a mobile application. And when you, when you pick one of those things, it kind of defines the tech stack that you got to pick up. But that that's kind of like one big blob. The second big blob is kind of back end. And this is a bit of a lumped category where, yeah. you know, you'd be interested in the data modeling, right? So that would be like, how do you structure data? How do you store it in a database? How do you go for high scale? How do you handle something like, I don't know, say like the Twitter database and fanning out and publishing millions of tweets every second, right? So mm -hmm. high performance back end. And the other subdivide there is maybe like, uh, infrastructure. So how do you manage like cloud compute? How do you make sure that you get all the provisioning correct? How do you get all these resources correctly configured so that developers can work on that? Right. So that's, that's like the two components there in like the back end. Yeah. And then finally, there's the third bucket that I think about, which is like the data science machine learning bucket, which is like, you, you want the complex algorithms, the deep learning, or like Bayesian modeling, uh, how do you understand data and how do you digest it and use it uh, effectively to achieve your goal? I would say you should pick a bucket and try to go at least a few steps in before yeah. you decide whether or not it's for you. And which bucket you pick completely defines the stack because they're almost mutually exclusive at this point. So obviously you don't need to be a one trick pony, but you would say it's a really good idea to pick something that you think you're going to be interested in and invest some serious time into that and develop some skills in that. And then that's when you're kind of ready to start looking into jobs in that, in that area. 
Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's much better than trying to spread your bets in a sense. Right. So I see it maybe a, a strategy that I don't love is people trying to do a little bit of a, a little bit of B, a little bit of C, mm-hmm. and then realizing that like, oh, actually at the end of the day, your GitHub is just a bunch of clones of projects. Right. And you, like you did a bunch of tutorials online, like you really want to push to the point where you did something interesting and by interesting, just like you yourself are like, oh, that's kind of cool, right? Because I don't think people appreciate that right now, we're all exposed to so much great technology out there, right? You have a really good internal compass of how good an app or like a website is. And so if you build something that you're like, hey, this is pretty cool, chances are somebody else is going to look at it and be like, hey, that's actually pretty cool, right? Um, And if you're building something, if you're just doing a tutorial and, you know, you copied and pasted and like changed the like header at the top to say like, hi, Will, instead of like, hi, Bob. Yeah. Not going to, right. You're not going to be impressed with it yourself. So yeah. I think that's probably the, that's what I would do if, if I were 10 years yeah. younger or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice because it's easy to get stuck in what I think a lot of people would call like tutorial hell with computer science of like, you know, getting to the for you know, completing like 10 videos of one tutorial and being like, wow, I feel like I've got a good comprehension of whatever front end framework now or something like that. Let me move on to something new. And then really, do you really understand whatever that whatever those 10 videos just covered? Like, could you ever recreate it in a different different way? Could you do something different with it? Um, do you actually know how to use it? Or do you just know how to implement in that one very particular way you just learned how to do it? That's something that I've definitely myself fallen into for sure. Like doing video after video and being like, wow, I just did like three hours of that. And I feel like I couldn't do any of it again if someone asked me to. So it's an interesting problem to be facing as we're trying to learn new skills in this in this industry. I'm wondering then, like, you know, obviously being in computer science and being in the tech, tech sector, you're learning constantly. That's probably one of the things that's most exciting about this industry, in my opinion, is just the amount of learning it requires. How do you go about learning and what where do you learn from these days? Are you learning from podcasts and videos are you learning from coworkers? I know some companies have like, you know, they, they rotate weekly and they give each other lectures on different topics and stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering how you do most of your learning these days. Yeah. Um, that's a great question actually. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, I focused a lot on the fundamentals. And so I actually try to carve out a little bit of time every day, uh, just at the beginning of my day when I'm drinking my coffee to read, uh, a paper, paper book. And I find that the the paper copy helps a lot because there's only so much space on your desk. And so mm-hmm. if I just leave the book there, I'm going to read it. Uh, and so that's kind of how I'm getting the majority of my new learning that is fundamental rather than kind of moment to moment, right? So obviously during the day when you're doing your work, you need to like look up an API, you need to go copy and paste some code snippets from Stack Overflow. And yeah. I don't consider that Part of the deliberate learning that kind of just happens by osmosis, right? You're going to get that anyways. Yeah. Uh, I think the important thing is to put in some some time every day, even if it's just 15, 20, 30 minutes, right? Um, just making it through, say, 10 pages a day. That's, you know, if you do that every day, that's like 3,000 pages a year or something like that, right? Yeah. So that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of books, um, actually. So that that's how I go about it. And the other thing I do at work is I started a technical book club because I find that it's just a bit easier to stay engaged and force yourself to kind of read these sometimes drier books. Right. Uh, so 
it, there's a group of us, we get together every two weeks, we vote on a book, and then we work through it chapter by chapter. And we just kind of talk about how it applies to our current, you know, systems, how, what lessons we can take away, and that that cements it. But really, it's for the social support of like working through these technical books together. That's a really cool, that's very cool. I love the idea of like a book club at work that's like super related to like, you know, whatever, whatever systems you're currently working with there. And that might be a totally new idea to some people. You know, a lot of jobs might not have something that's equivalent to that. So that's, it's very cool that that kind of like learning is taking place you know, in the workplace. I love that. One more shift here uh, before we kind of start to wrap up. Um, I think anybody's being paying attention to the news lately has probably heard about like all the large layoffs that are happening in tech these days. Companies like Google, Meta, Twitter, all these things. The tech industry is definitely going through a lot of turnover right now. Um, for kind of just like general advice for maybe a student trying to find a job slash like anybody who's working there right now, like how do you navigate such a dy dynamic time in the industry when things are changing so quickly? Is there like a mindset that you would recommend people kind of take? Like, I heard one the other day, like, you know, gone are the days of the gold watch. You're not going to get a gold watch from your company when you retire anymore. Um, and so right. I'm wondering like how you think about that and what coworkers are kind of talking about these days during this time of like, you know, lots of turnover. So luckily, I think biotech is a little bit insulated from that um, yes. dynamic currently. But yeah. certainly, I mean, I've been through kind of cycles like that when I've been in tech. And I think the, the thing that I try to focus on is that, you know, companies will always need people to solve problems, right? Um, and the more critical the problem, the harder it is for them to, uh, I guess, take you off the payroll. Because if you're on the critical path for them generating money, if their core product requires some skill that you provide, it would be very hard to kind of get rid of you in a sense. And so I think I try to just make sure that I'm working on something valuable um, in the larger context, right? Because it's always a, a push-pull. There can be really interesting problems that are not critical, that can distract you. And there are sometimes really boring problems that are super critical to the business that you don't want to touch, right? Yeah. And so I think really it's all about like finding that balance of something that maybe that you enjoy, but also is valuable to the company. And like, that's kind of like the sweet spot that everybody should be aiming for. Because if everyone's kind of hitting that sweet spot, then like everything is going to hum, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good mindset to have is not every problem you face in, in the workplace is going to be thrilling and excite you. Um, but then again, that's why they call it work. And, you know, we're working in these places to, to, you know, help this company and to make an impact there. And so, you know, having that mindset is useful, like trying to find ways to actually, actually help the company and actually make yourself valuable to them. Um, good way to kind of secure, you know, find some job security there. <laughs> that kind of, brings me to the end of today's episode. So I wanted to ask you one last question. You can make it as drawn out or as brief as you like. Um, what if there's like a final message that you want to share with UBC students and alumni? Knowing we already covered a bunch of stuff as well, you're more than welcome to reiterate a really important lesson or share a message with somebody or share a message to the to listeners, anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I think the one thing that I would want to say maybe to my younger self is to study hard, but don't forget to enjoy your time at UBC. Because a lot of the most valuable and memorable times that I had were times when I got outside the classroom, right? When I volunteered or joined a club or got deeply involved in athletics. And it's all paid off and it's all kind of 
made me who I am today. And yeah, I just want to make sure that you're not all stuck just looking at your toes and forgetting to to look up once in a while at the landscape. I love that. Yeah. Don't spend all your time grinding leak code problems. Get out there. Have some fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lily. I really appreciate your time today. You're very welcome. So that's all from me. It has been an absolute pleasure hosting the 2MS podcast. I hope you were able to gain something from today's episode and that you'll tune in again soon for the next one. I would encourage you to follow the SAC on all major social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We post lots of exciting opportunities there for UBC students. And you should definitely shoot us a follow on TikTok as well, because if you ask me, that's where the real heat is at. So thanks for listening, folks. I hope you have a wonderful day.